know my announcement for next Sunday, I believe, <clears throat> Youth Day here at the Fieldhouse at 11.15 a.m. And um, we are going to be promoting that this week and reaching out to teenagers, uh, every teenager that we have some address on and some we don't, we're going to be reaching out to them. Uh, and we're going to have a $100 gift card to the teenager who brings the most first-time guests. Or if you bring the most first-time teenagers, I don't care what age you are, uh, this says to the teen, but we'll give you a $100 gift card, a Visa card. You spend it anywhere you want. We want you to bring teenagers. And uh, we pay staff members. So if you're going to, this is like this week, you're a staff member. So work hard. Let me give these out to you, by the way. Uh, everybody, I think we've got enough for everybody to take one. Because uh, we're going to give a $50 gift card to the one who brings the next most. And then $25 gift card for every teen guest who's first time here. Give us an information card. And free pizza after the service. So, Andy, if you would take these and make sure, uh, especially make sure the teenagers get one. You can refer back to these uh, this week if you're trying to remember. But this, we're just putting something in your hand that will help you as you talk to teenagers this week. And something you might want to consider, uh, uh, sometimes a teenager will want to come, and, uh, but their parents uh, won't bring them. They, won't, they don't come. So what I would suggest you consider is having a Saturday night sleepover and just get some friends to come spend the night and there they are on Sunday morning all ready to go. It's better than having to go around and pick them up, wait on them and all that, just gather them in there Saturday night, um, make sure they get to bed plenty of time to get up for 11-15 service. <laughs> now, I've, I've got a few more too, Andy, if you need some more. But uh, uh, I was just reading in uh, 1 Timothy a few weeks ago, and Paul told Timothy to do the work of an evangelist. And that's what we're doing this week, and I hope you'll join me as we do an outreach to teens uh, this coming week. And then we'll have, uh, have them all gathered in here next Sunday morning. Uh, we're going to, in faith, set up another row of chairs. And uh, don't forget that afterwards, uh, we, we want you to stay for pizza. Uh, the teenagers will give out the gift cards, eat pizza and salad, and just have a good time and uh, make sure our teenagers... Associate joy and gladness with the church of Jesus Christ. Well, we are in the book of Acts. And so if you have your Bible, turn to Acts chapter 2. And Peter is preaching on the day of Pentecost, uh, a festival in Jerusalem which all the Jews from all over the world would come to uh, once a year to celebrate the giving of the law. And Peter stands up in the midst of this uh, great number of people and begins to 
quote from the book of Joel that these are the last days of Israel, uh, the last days of the old covenant, and that their sun is going to set and never rise again. But it's possible to be saved out of it. And if you did not, uh, was not here on one of those, for, for those sermons, you can, I think we have CDs out there and you can pick those up. And then uh, Peter offers uh, three proofs that God was with Jesus. We looked at that last time, beginning in verse 22. And one of those proofs was the resurrection and how David had predicted the resurrection. He said that he would not let his Holy One see corruption, Acts 2.27. And he's quoting from David over in the Psalms. And Peter points at David's tomb and says that he couldn't have been talking of himself because right there is where he's buried and he saw corruption. But he says rather he was speaking or prophesying about Jesus Christ and the resurrection of Christ's body. Verse 31, he foresaw and spoke of the resurrection. And then Peter goes on and quotes David once again and he quotes one of the most amazing texts in the Old Testament. Let's begin reading in verse 34. For David did not ascend to heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool." And let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus that you crucified. The key text there in verse 34, a quote, Peter is quoting David. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till all your enemies are a footstool. I will make them a footstool. This is a quote from Psalm 110, verse 1. And if we looked at that psalm, you would find that the Hebrew words for Lord is Jehovah said to Adonai. Jehovah is usually the word for God the Father. God the Father said to God the Son, sit at my right hand. And David knew Jesus as Lord even in the Old Testament, because David in Psalm 110 says, The Lord said to my Lord. He was David's Lord, even in the Old Testament. And he says that this is the ascension. David did not ascend into heaven, he says, but rather Jesus ascended into heaven. And God made him Lord and Christ. Christ means the Messiah. So that the, the kingdom of the Messiah began at the ascension. In the Old Testament, God promised again and again He would send the Messiah and the, He would establish His kingdom and begin His kingdom. And, when, and Peter is saying here that when Jesus ascended into heaven at the right hand of the Father and all authority in heaven and earth was given to Him, that is the beginning of the messianic kingdom of God. 
this, this text from Psalm 110, verse 1, is the most quoted text in the New Testament from the Old Testament. It is referred to again and again. Ephesians 1.20, Paul wrote, wrote, He worked in Christ to raise Him from the dead and seat Him at His right hand far above all rule, authority, and power. Colossians 3.1, We're to seek the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Or 1 Peter 3.22, Christ has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authority, and power subject to Him. And of course, the the famous text, uh, Paul, God highly exalted him and gave him a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow in heaven and earth. In other words, Jesus at the ascension became Lord of all. God bestowed all authority in heaven and earth upon him. And the kingdom of God began in the ascension of Jesus to the right hand of the Father. Now look at verse uh, 34. He says, David did not ascend into heaven. So who is he speaking of? He's speaking of Christ. And then where is he seated? David did not ascend into heaven, but the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. He's sitting enthroned in the executive position with God. And how long will he sit there? Look at verse 35. Until I make your enemies your footstool. I'm going to make your enemies your footstool. The kingdom of Christ promised in the Old Testament began at the ascension and is there, Jesus is there until his enemies are his footstool. That's what I want us to look at today. Because sometimes we underestimate the effect of Christ in history and what he is doing. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 25 and 6 says, He must reign, that is at the right hand of the Father, until he has put all enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. That is a tremendous passage and fits right into what Peter is saying. Jesus is putting down all his enemies and they're the final enemy that he's going to put down, the final obstacle to the new creation is death itself. And when Jesus returns at the second coming, he raises everyone from the dead and thus concludes the final enemy, which is death, and thus defeats every enemy. The last one is death itself. So right now, what is he doing? He's putting down enemies, or God the Father is putting enemies under his feet. Now, what is the evidence that enemies are under his feet? I mean, what progress has the Messiah made? 
what are the marks that he's actually expanded his kingdom and put his enemies under his feet? Where do we see that? What does that look like? And let me just put in front of you, not an exhaustive list, but just three or four things that I think are marks of the Messiah's progress in history. Here's one. The conversion of sinners. How is Jesus doing in bringing rebels back to submission under His Lordship? Romans 5.10 says, When we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Did you know that as a sinner, we are enemies of God? We don't like Him. We don't want to be around Him. We don't want to hear what He says. Uh, We're suspicious of His people. We are His enemies. But through Christ, we can be reconciled back to the Father. Well, how's He doing there? Well, I googled this question. How many Christian churches are in the world? And the answer, 37 million Christian churches in the world. Now I'd say going from 120 on the day of Pentecost to 37 million Christian churches. I I call that progress. Can I get an amen? I think Jesus did pretty well in, in bringing sinners, bringing the hostility to an end and reconciling us to himself. Our denomination, the Southern Baptist Convention, in Michigan last year started 17 new churches. And this year in Michigan, a state with 10 million people, the goal is to start 35 new churches. So all around the world, the spread of Christianity is proof positive that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father and the Father is bringing down the sinners and bringing down the enemies and bringing down the rebels so that we bow before Him and say, Jesus, You're the Lord, not me. Amen. And many of you have made that confession. Now, Paul says in Philippians 2.11 that before it's all over, every tongue will confess and every uh, knee will bow to Jesus Christ the Lord to the glory of God the Father. He's going to get everyone down before it's over. And by the way, it's better to do it now while you can still be saved. Amen? Rather than wait till the end when it's too late. So the first... Mark of the Messiah's progress in history is the rapid spread. Uh, Put that uh, graph up there. I wanted to give you this before we move on. Uh, The dark areas represent uh, Christianization and the the darker, especially the purple, and then the lighter areas is less Christianized. And you can see the global reach and influence 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I, I give him an A plus on that. I'm sure he appreciates my uh, grading him. <clears throat> Here's a second. In the spread of knowledge and the coming of light. Uh, Matthew 4.16 says, The people who dwelt in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who dwell in the region and shadow of death, a light has dawned. With the coming of Christ and the spread of His influence and by the power of His Spirit, God has brought a new knowledge, a new understanding of things. Uh, it's very rare to find a place today where there's superstitious nonsense, where, there's, where people worship idols. Their, their pockets and their places, but, uh, but the gospel has brought a light to the world that was not there previous. And whenever the gospel goes, there always is an increase in knowledge and education. Robert Jeffress writes that of the first 138 colleges in the United States, starting in the United States, 120 of them were begun by Christians for Christians. Education is rooted in the Christian faith. God sent Jesus and at His right hand He's putting down ignorance and darkness. Daniel 12.4 predicted that at the end of the Old Covenant many would run to and fro and knowledge would increase. So how is that done? Give me that next graph. Here is just in the last couple of hundred years the increase of knowledge that is spread around the world. Here's a third one. Uh, not only conversions and the spread of knowledge, but uh, third is... Now, this one I kind of tripped over, and you may too, so I had to ponder it a little. The increase of peace. Has Jesus brought peace? Well, look at Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. Look at this verse. Unto us a child is born... Unto us a son is given, the government will be on his shoulder, his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now look, look at verse 7. And of the increase of his government, the kingdom, and of peace, there will be no end. The increase of peace... Uh, when Isaiah predicted this, and who's he talking about here? Who is Isaiah 9-7 talking about? Muhammad, right? No. He's talking about Jesus. Amen? And he says his government will continue to increase. His peace, along with that government, will also increase. Now, has there been... An increase of peace in the earth. That's the question I was asking myself. And a, a, an article just recently in the Wall Street Journal by Steve Pinker from Harvard. He's a professor at Harvard. Uh, he, he pointed out this fascinating study but, but from the first century until today. 
And he said, you have to look at it long term. And he said, if you take, for example, the number, the, the, the percentages of people, populations, involved in international conflict. He said, we, it is phenomenal how fewer it is today than in around the first century. There are six, seven billion people in the earth. And only a fraction is involved in international conflicts right now. But in the first century, half the population of the world was involved in conflict. But he said, a second thing is, you have to take into consideration the, the time and the extent by, on which those wars were fought. The, the, they would fight for 40 years. In fact, there is in uh, the 14th century, uh, uh, the title of the war is called the Hundred Years' War. A <laughs> hundred years. And if you go back and look at it, it's actually more like 120. But a hundred years of war between two nations. Well, we have in World War II, uh, it lasted about four or five years. In World War I, it lasted about four or five years. But they would have 50 years of war, 100-year war. He said comparatively, and here was his quote, and I, I'll just give this to you for you to ponder. Violence, says Pinker, has been in decline for a thousand years, international violence. And we may now be living in the most peaceful period of all humanity. <laughs> now, he may be talking about the kingdom and the peace that we that graph where Christianity is spread. Because when, when, the, when Jesus comes into your heart by His Spirit, He does bring peace. Amen? He gives you peace, and there's peace in the family. Um, I, I was thinking this week, you know, I have... Uh, over 40 years of marriage and I have never one time raised my hand to strike my wife. Not once. Now I shot at her three or four times but not one time did I raise my hand. But there is no, uh, there is a peace that God can introduce into your family, into your parenting, into your marriage and that is spread where the gospel has spread. Men love their wives when Jesus is their Savior. Amen. So he says here that this, this the, the concept of war and international conflict in the first century, because of all the Roman wars, the average lifespan of a Roman man was 25 years of age. Here's a fourth one. Marks of progress from the Messiah. And that is freedom from slavery. Freedom from bondage. 2 Corinthians 3.17 Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is... There is freedom. Amen. What had happened in the first century was there was an incipient move of peoples toward democracy. Did you know there were no democracies before Christ came? 
They were emperors, the Caesars, Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar, Persian king Cyrus, Greek, Greek ruler Alexander the Great, and the Roman Caesars. Those were just one after another. People didn't vote. They didn't have freedom. But when Jesus came, do you not understand how he has transformed the society of the world and introduced the concept of freedom and democracy? And uh, show us the next graph on the increase of democracies in just the last couple of hundred years. And here's what he says. Um, there was not one true democracy in all the earth till Jesus came. And just in the last, there were 45 democracies about 50 years ago. And today there are over 100 and it is increasing. Democracies are spreading and it is marginalizing the warmongers. So I'm giving you marks of the Messiah's progress because I know there's a lot of gloom and doom. I know that. But sometimes it's just not based on facts and sometimes it's just not based on the, on the, the description of Jesus' kingdom. So I give you that to ponder. We mark the date. 2018, the year of our Lord. And from that time, His kingdom has made progress. Men have been converted. They've come over and been reconciled. There have been democracies and peace and freedom and education. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 10, quoting that verse, puts it like this. Give me Hebrews 10, 12. <clears throat> Speaking of Christ, it said, And this man... After, speaking of Christ, this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God, quoting Psalm 110, and he says, from henceforth expecting till his enemies are made his footstool. He's expecting. This is Jesus. He's more optimistic than Joel Osteen ever was. Jesus is expecting victory after victory after victory after victory in every nation of the world in an ever-increasing powerful kingdom that is spreading through the preaching of the gospel and the mission efforts of the church. What a mighty Savior. There is none like Him. What a privilege to be in church the visible expression of that kingdom. The world has been transformed since Jesus came. If he's expecting his enemies to be made his footstool, let me ask you, what are you expecting? What do you expect from Jesus and of the future of his kingdom? Wealth, life expectancy, housing, the poorest among us have TVs, air conditioner, microwaves, cell phones, indoor bathrooms, which I, by the way, didn't have growing up. These are all things kings did not have 
before Jesus came. His benevolence has permeated the globe and we feel the goodness of God in every society where the gospel is preached. There's a couple of things I leave with you this morning. I was struck by the fact that it's footstool. All of his enemies, he doesn't say he's going to kill them all, which he could have said that. He said, I'm going to make them my footstool. What does that mean? Have you ever had a chair without a footstool or a recliner? You know, I don't, I don't like to... If I'm going to sit down for a while, I want a recliner. I want a footstool. It's more relaxing. It's better. Jesus, the promise is, I'm going to make your enemies not just removed, invisible, and gone. I'm going to make them beneficial to you. Hallelujah. Amen. In other words, you'll be glad you had that problem before it's all over. Mm, mm, mm. What are your problems? You'll be glad that you had it. It'll be a footstool. What are you expecting from Jesus? And then the other thing was, problems are just part of life. I went over to Bristol Road. It rained like two or three days in a row, and I went over to check on things because sometimes water gets in the basement over there in the bottom floor. And the water had gotten stopped up and it was actually coming into the auditorium. Whoa. That ain't good. I mean, we're Baptists and we like water, but not like that. And I was just thinking, what in the world are we going to do? And thankfully, we've got a couple of guys who will just drop what they're doing and help out this church. Andy Kirby is one of them and Julie, his wife. They just... They, went, they came over, helped with the problem, and I realized, you know, God sent them. When there's a problem, God has a solution. I was on my way home, and my vehicle started making a grinding noise or a whining noise. I thought, I'm losing my transmission. The church is flooded. My transmission's going out. What's next? And But you know what? Took it in. And God provided money for me. I had money to fix it. And the next day, Andy had fixed the leak. The mechanic had fixed the motor. My problems are solved. I thought that is the way Jesus will fix everything in our life. If you give him time. Look, it's been 2,000 years. He's made great progress. What if he had another 2,000 years? Don't sell Jesus short on what he's going to do in history. Don't cut him off. He's not willing. He's patient 
A thousand years is as a day to him. So he's patient, not willing people should perish. So he's going to let time run until the progress of the kingdom is so overwhelming. And finally, when he's done, he's got one more enemy. Death. So Paul says, he must reign until all are under his feet. And the last one is death. I want to just leave you with this reference in the Old Testament. Joshua went into Canaan land and a conspiracy of five Canaanite kings came against him. They captured all of them. And Joshua said, I want you to take those five kings and I want you to bring them in here and I want them to kneel down and then I want every Israelite soldier to come by and put his foot on the neck of his enemy. And then God says this to Joshua. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Be strong. For the Lord will do this to all your enemies against whom you fight. Every enemy... Jesus will overcome, and Him in you will overcome. You're seated with Him in the heavenlies, Ephesians 2.1. Participate in that victory. And recognize problems will be resolved. Walls will be leaped over. Issues will be solved. Problems will pass away in the power and grace of the risen Christ. There is a future... In this kingdom. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The Messiah has made progress. Way to go, Jesus. I can't wait for the future to see what you're going to do in coming generations. I want us to bow for prayer now and um, we'll receive our regular Sunday morning offering. We want to worship Psalmist said, bring an offering and come and uh, worship him. So let's do that this morning. We worship him. We worship the king who reigns forever. We worship the, the king who has a kingdom that will uh, never pass away. And we're glad to be participants in it. Let's invest. We're going to need uh, some help this week as we... Uh, motivate these young people and pay for this pizza. The, all of these kind of things go into outreach and missions. This is what we're about. But let's, let's get it done uh, this week. Pray with me. Holy Father, we stand in awe of the kingdom of the Messiah. We're so glad and amazed that we are able to be in this. Thank you, thank you. We're so optimistic. At because Not because we're just positive thinking, but because Jesus is Lord. This fuels our faith and our hope. Jesus is Lord of all. And, and we confess Him as such today. And it's in His name that we pray and give and sing. Amen.